Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Why don't you look at somebody close to you and you can just tell them, whatever you do, don't look back. Now, how many of you just thought we were going to go talk about Lot's wife? We're not. We're not talking about Lot's wife today. You've been in church for too long. No such thing. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at some more of Paul's writing. We've been looking at this thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he was writing to the church in, in Corinthians, when, in Corinth, when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Another a translation might say, look at my example, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But today, we're going to look at something that he wrote to the church in Philippi because I want you to have a holistic picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Father God, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you for your living, active, breathing word. I thank you that you are a good and faithful God. We ask you to speak to us today. I ask you to do what only you can do, to take this one word and to break it up and to multiply it and to make it mean something in each and every heart and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys been following the Olympics? How good are they? Do you know that today is actually the last day? So if you haven't been getting your Olympic kicks in, you have to make sure that you get your final morsels of Olympics in before we have to wait another four years to get our Olympic goods in. What I love about the Olympics, I'm, I'm not a huge like sports athletic person. I know that probably surprises you a lot. But... What I love about the Olympics is all of the great like human people moments that happen, all of the excitement that's around it. And you think about all of the training and all of the investment and all of the hours and all of the other people that had something to do with getting this one person to this one moment. And we see it all come together and just they just have this short period of time to put everything on the line. And there have been some incredible moments. I don't know if you know this, but freestyle, street-style skateboarding made its Olympic debut this year. Come on. Skateboarding is now an Olympic. So, well, skateboarding has been, but street-style skateboarding. And this, like, 13-year-old kid won a gold medal in skateboarding. I love this one. Did you guys see those two guys, one from Qatar and one from Italy, who shared the gold medal? Come on. They got to the end and they tied, and they were like, it's fine. We'll just share it. We'll both. Come on. That is amazing. Human spirit, human moment, moments. The, sp the time when Diaz won, she won a gold medal in weightlifting. So first of all, she was weightlifting like 193 kilos. I don't, that translates to like close to 300 pounds, just so you're wondering, right? This woman, and she won the first gold medal ever for the nation of the Philippines. Ever. Yes, Tracy was like texting me like, come on, we just won. 
have got to go find the clip. It will move your, I rewatched it last night as I was like preparing for this and I was like, whew, I think the Holy Spirit might be in that because it was just too, it was amazing. It's, it just stirs your soul and your spirit when you see people bring everything that they have to this one moment. And some of my favorite stories in the Olympics, in any athletics, are those underdog, upset, nobody saw them coming moments. Did you guys see Lamont, Marcel, Jacobs win that gold? You guys, his odds in Vegas like two weeks ago were like 30 to one to win a gold medal. The guy who got a silver medal, they were interviewing him and he was like, I didn't even know what his name was before we started. Like nobody thought this guy was about to win and he took off and he won the gold medal in the 100 meter sprint. He is like the brand new, they're like comparing him to like, he's the new Usain Bolt. Who was gonna take gold with Usain not being in it? And this guy that nobody had heard, of, you have to go read his story. He wasn't even running the 100 meter like three years ago. He started it, he was a, um, I think a pole vaulter or something like that. And basically was like, yeah, maybe I'll try another sport and picked up the 100 meter dash and won gold this year. Come on, there are incredible, you, I mean, you don't have to clap for him, but it's awesome, you gotta go watch it. There are incredible stories in the Olympics. There are incredible human moments that take us in and there is nothing more Olympic than the running relays, then the races, then the dashes, then the, did you know, I've been looking into the Olympics, did you know that the very first Olympics was held in 776 B.C.? 776 B.C., the very first recorded Olympic Games were held, and do you know what competition happened there? Running something they called the stadium, and they would run around in a circle. There is nothing more Olympic than watching runners run in a race, watching them compete for that prize, watching them stretch forward to come all the way across that line from 776 BC until 393 AD is when the ancient Olympic Games ran for over a thousand years and it was an incredible central part to what was happening in the culture at the time. People would gather every four years in the city of Olympia and they would come together to watch people compete in all of these different competitions and all of these different races and all of these different feats of their strength and their tenacity to watch the human body and the human spirit be pushed to the edge of what they possibly could do. They gathered round to cheer on their competitors 
Alexander, they gathered round to see if they would win. And there was more riding on the ancient games even than we have riding. Now we have riding prestige. Now we have riding pride. Now we have riding on these gold medals, bragging rights. Now we get to see countries enter into gold medal Olympians and cheer them on with great excitement. But when they gathered at the ancient Olympic games, it wasn't just a gold medal. It wasn't just bragging rights. They had political powers that were hanging on what would happen at these games. Leaders of territories would select their Olympian to go forward and deals would be made at the Olympic games and treaties would be made at the Olympic games. And there was an economic impact from what happened at that Olympic game and political decisions were being made and depending on who won certain races and who lost certain races would have an impact for the next four years on the power of the territory that you lived in, these ancient games where people were pressing and were leading. Why does this matter? Because this is the cultural context of the area when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. You have to understand that the Olympic games would be part of what was in the mind, in the psyche, in the culture of the people who would go and would see these people running, racing like everything depended on it because everything in their city did depend on it. And they ran with everything that they had. And it's with this cultural context in mind that Paul starts to pen a letter to the church in Philippi a church that he had started, a church that he had gone to and proclaimed the incredible message of Jesus, a church that when he went there had so few already believers in it that he couldn't even find a synagogue to gather in. He couldn't find, like he normally did, a temple on the Sabbath to go and say, hey, I want to let you know that the Messiah has come. So instead, he finds a small prayer group on the outside of town. And he doesn't find a priest there who he can speak to. He finds a woman named Lydia who scripture tells us is a God-fearing woman. And when he told her the message of Jesus, when he declared who Jesus was to her, something in her spirit said, yes. Something in her spirit said, that's right. Something in her spirit said, that is the message I've been waiting for. And so Paul said, very good, you can lead the church here. And she started a church in her home. And Paul left her in charge of what would be happening in this church in Philippi under Lydia and the other elders that he put in place began to grow and began to strengthen, not a church of people who grew up on the ancient Hebrew scriptures, not a church of people who grew up going to Sabbath every weekend, not a church of people who knew what it was to be a believer, a church built of Gentiles, a church built of those who used to be far from God but discovered who he was, and they began to grow, and they began to be strengthened. And we learn about the church in Philippi that whenever Paul had need, they were incredibly generous. They were faithful with their giving. They were faithful with sending and writing. And this is the moment Paul finds himself in. Yet again, Paul finds himself in prison. Yet again, Paul finds himself in chains for the message of the gospel. Yet again, Paul finds himself bound, unable to get where he wants to go, unable to reach the people that he wants to reach, unable to stand up and preach to them. And so because he cannot get to them and preach to them, he begins to write. He begins to write letters to the churches. He begins to write letters to the people that he wishes he could be to face to face. And because they hear that Paul once again finds himself in chains. Do you know that we don't 
even know where Paul was imprisoned when he wrote the letter to Philippians, the letter of Philippians. We don't even know when exactly he was imprisoned because though theologians have tried and though historians have tried, the simple fact is Paul was imprisoned so regularly and so often for the sake of the gospel that they can't seem to pin down exactly which occasion that Paul found himself in prison for the sake of the gospel, that he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. But they had heard that he was bound again. And when they heard that he was bound again, they gathered an offering. They gathered some money. They gathered some resources. And they sent those resources to Paul. They sent them to him because in the history of the church of Philippi, they knew just how critical it was for Paul to find himself in prison. They knew just how impactful it was for Paul to find himself in prison because while it might have been a moment for Paul to sit back and reflect on his journey, while it could have been a moment for Paul to sit and lick his own wounds about how sad and how difficult his life was, while it could have been a moment for him to tell God, I've given my whole life to you and yet you keep finding me in these prisons. What we know about Paul is that he had encountered Jesus and he had seen Jesus at such a deep and meaningful and impactful way that there was nothing that could keep him from declaring the message of Jesus. And so while Paul found himself bound and in difficult and hurting and troubling circumstances, you would think that he would be quiet for a moment, but Paul just began to expand his ministry even more. Paul just began to write letters to send out to the churches. Every time Paul was in prison, it says that the guards began to reflect and look at the name of Jesus. It says that even the guards began to see and began to know, and the church in Philippi knows a little bit something about this, because you might remember a story about Paul and his friend named Silas, who got locked up in a jail for declaring the message of Jesus and freeing a girl from her demon possession. And when they got locked up in that place in the same way, instead of licking his wounds and crying his sad tale, Paul and Silas started a praise party. And they began to lift up the name of God and they began to lift up the name of Jesus and they began to thank him and they began to worship him and they began to glorify his name. And so even in prison, Paul found himself more effective than many who were out standing on podiums and standing in platforms because the whole place started to shake. Oh, and the story of the planting of the church in Philippi is a story about a jail cell that shook so hard because of the praises of two men that it it rolled its way open is the story of a, of a guard who thought he was going to kill himself because he was so devastated at what had happened. And Paul, who said, we all stayed here. There's a story in the history of the church of Philippi that lets them know if Paul is in prison, God is working something. If Paul is in prison, God is doing something. If Paul finds himself in prison again, there is something that is happening in the story of what God is doing. And so they get gathered an offering and they sent an offering to Paul to support him and to make sure that he did not go without. In the history of the story of the church that is at Philippi is a legacy of generosity, is a legacy of faithfulness to ensuring that the gospel went forth and didn't end in their city alone, but that others heard the message that they heard. And so Paul sits down in this prison cell somewhere where we don't know, and he begins to pen them a letter. And he writes them a letter of thankfulness. And he writes them a letter of gratitude. He writes them a letter to encourage them and their continual giving 
but he also writes them a letter of instruction. He writes them a letter because he wants them to know that there are some things that it's important that you understand while you're on your journey. He writes them something that would carry them. He writes them something to spur them on in their faith. Paul wants them to know that the longer that he looks at Christ, the more aware he is of the great imminent glory of who Christ is and the incredible gap and space between his own humanity and just who Jesus is. He wants them to know that as I sit in this cell, I am more aware than I have ever been, that I strive to be like him, but the more that I walk with him and the more that I look at him, the more that I see how glorious Jesus is, the more that I see how perfect and matchless he is, the more that I see just how great and glorious and wondrous he is. And as Paul sits there, he thinks, if I feel this way, perhaps the church that I left in Philippi feels this way as well that the more that they learn of who Jesus is and the more that they learn about all of his ways and all of his habits and just how wonderful he is, the more they might feel the space between who they are and who he is. And so by the time we get to Philippians 3, Paul says to them in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants them to know as they sit there, as he sends them this letter, as they grow in their faith, as they grow in their church, as the church that they're at begins to expand and begins to be strengthened in the area, he wants them to know it's not that I have obtained all of the things that I'm telling you about. It's not that when I look at Jesus and I see his perfection, I feel that I too am perfect in that way. No, I feel the gap of my own humanity. I know the reality of who I am. I know the reality of exactly where I've come from. Paul thinks that it's important that when he tells them, follow my example, he's telling them as well, it's not that my example looks exactly like Christ, it's that my aim is to be like Christ. I want you to know when I tell you to follow me that I feel so intricately the space between who I am and who he is. And I wanted you to know as we exit Jesus habits, it's not that you are going to feel like you are like Christ. It's not that you are going to look at yourself and see exactly who you think Christ is and the things that he has revealed to you in that space. No, you more than anyone know the incredible gap between his incredible glory and your regular humanity that you face every day. I know far too well the 
doubts that I carry. I know far too well the insecurities that I have. I know far too well my own shortcomings and my own places where I will never measure up to who he is, where I will never be able to be as faithful as he is, where I will never be as consistent as he is, wherever I will never be as pure and as honest and as true as he is because there is no fault in him. There is no guile in him. There is no untruth in him. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether wonderful. He is altogether holy and altogether glorious. And when I look at me, there's a lot of uncertainty in me. There's a lot of untruth in me. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of spaces where the the faith that I want to have and the faith that I actually possess are far from one another. And Paul, as he writes to the church in Philippi, wants them to know, I feel that gap too. I feel that space too. As we exit this series, I want you to know you're not alone in feeling that too. You're not alone when you talk about Jesus' habits and you hear that voice in the back of your head that says, who are you to be like him? Who are you to mirror who he is? A couple weeks ago, Phil and I, um, were, we were having a situation going on that it wasn't great. And a friend of ours, someone we know, texted us and said, um, you know, just praying for God to move in this situation for you. And I had to tell Phil later, I said, you know what? The first thought I had when I read that text message was... That's really nice, but what's God gonna do in this situation? This right here, this feels outside of his scope to me. This right here seems bigger than, than the faith that I have for this moment right now. And the thing that's really rough about it for me personally is that I'm in the middle of preparing a message to take to the church on the miracle working wonderful power of our God. And I felt that gap between who he is and the reality that I live in some days, in the faith that I have, in that thing inside of me that says, God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me with that space between who I see that you are and who that I feel that I am. Help me with my humanity, Jesus. Help me in the gap in between. And as Paul writes to them, he tells them, church, I don't want you to think that that's who it is because perfect is not a prerequisite for being a follower of Jesus. Perfect is not a prerequisite for inviting someone else into the journey. Perfect is not a prerequisite for declaring the goodness and the faithfulness of our everlasting God. So when you find yourself on Wednesday weary from the work, don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. In. Don't give in to that feeling. Don't give in to that lie. Don't give in to the enemy who wants to drag you back to where you came from. No, Paul says, instead, I want you to know him. I want you to know his power. I want you to know his suffering, and I want you to declare him by any means possible. He tells them, I feel it too. You're going to feel it too. There's a gap between who you are and who he is, but don't give into it. Instead, he tells them to know him. Know him. Don't meet him. Don't study him. Don't observe him. Know him. Know him inside and out. The word there, know, means to intimately understand and to experience who God is. Is You have to experience the goodness of who he is. You have to experience the glory of who he is. You have to experience what it means to be in his presence, to experience what it means to be called into his 
into his light. When you look at Jesus, don't just look at him. Don't just look at what, he, what he's given you. Don't just look at everything that he's done. Experience the fullness of who he is. It's why we gather together to worship because there's something that happens when the body of Christ gathers that we experience the fullness of the body in a different way. There's something that happens differently when you stand up and you partner with heaven and you declare heaven come when you declare heaven on earth when you declare I am a gateway to heaven where you experience who he is it's good to study him it's good to understand him but there's something about a people that know him and when Paul is writing to the church and he says you're going to feel this gap one of the things I want you to know when you feel this gap is to know him to know him more and then he says and his power and the power of who he is the power of who this God is the resurrection life-giving miracle working never ending power of God you have to know his power as well know him and this is that dynamis power it literally means in its power it is the power to overcome resistance the power to overcome when the enemy comes up against you it is the power to overcome the pressures of the world the power to overcome the pressures that want to draw you backward the power to overcome every sickness the power to overcome every lie of the enemy the power to overcome every single doubt that you have the power to overcome any circumstance that tries to rise against you the power to overcome your family history the power to overcome the trauma, the power to overcome the addiction, the power to overcome the news feed, the power to overcome the critics, the power to overcome transitioning in different stages, the power to overcome high school, the power to overcome college years, the power to overcome that work transition, the power to overcome the lies that the enemy places in your mind. It is the power to overcome, to resist everything that the enemy tries to put up against you as he tries to draw you back into the place that you come from as he tries to draw you back to the thing that you know God freed you from as he tries to draw you back there is a people who know God and who say there is a power from on high and it is the power to resist it is the power to stand up it is the power to push back it is the power to persevere it is the power to live a resilient life I will not lose my faith I will not lose my mind I will not lose my sanity I will not lose my children. I will not lose my friendships. I will not lose my marriage. There is a power to resist. There is a power to resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Paul says when you feel that gap, find the power and resist the enemy. The gap is there, but so is the power. The power is there. And then he says this line that we like to skip over, I share with him in his suffering. Paul says, when you feel the suffering, this is what I want you to know. There's a gap between who you are and who Jesus is, and you're going to feel the gap of who he is and who you are in your life. But when you feel the suffering, I want you to remember that you are sharing in who he is. In your suffering, you share in who he is. 
in your dark moments, you share in who he is. We have a tendency to hit, maybe you don't, this is what I do. I have a tendency to hit my dark, my troubling, my trying moments, and I just want to buckle in, head down. I'm going to get through this until I get on the other side of the goodness, on the, on the good parts where I want to be. I want to be in the parts where Jesus does miracles in my life. I want to be in the parts where he shines on me. I want to be in the parts where his comfort and his goodness are close to me. But what I have to remember is even in suffering, his goodness is here. Even in suffering, his faithfulness is here. Even in suffering, I am being made like him. What Paul is trying to get them to understand is your closeness to Jesus is not dependent on the glory of your circumstance. Your closeness to Jesus is dependent on your situation and your perspective. So when you're in the middle of your suffering, do you say, even in this, I am being made like him. Even in this, I get to share in who he is. Even in this, he is forming me more like him. I'm not only like him when I'm on the mountaintop, I'm especially like him when I'm in my suffering. So instead of buckling in and looking down and just hoping that the storm passes soon, I put my shoulders back and I put my head up and I say, Jesus, what am I being made like you in this moment? When I'm right here, what is it like you that you're trying to show me? When I'm in this moment, what is it that's just me that you're trying to carve off of me? Even in my suffering, I'm like him. Even in my suffering. So this this is what Paul wants them to understand, that sometimes in your suffering, the enemy wants to come in and say, see how big that gap is? If you were like Jesus, you wouldn't be feeling any suffering right now. This is the moment where the enemy wants to come and lie to you and say, see, you didn't really get saved. See, you're not really sanctified. See, you didn't really feel the Holy Spirit. See, when you were baptized, it wasn't really what you thought it was. It worked for those other people, but it didn't work for you because see how bad your suffering is right now. And Paul says, absolutely not. Even in my suffering, I'm being made like him. Even in my suffering, he's with me. Even in my suffering, I'm being transformed. Even in my suffering, God's forming me and making me, and I am walking. So even in my suffering, follow me as I follow Christ. Because even in my suffering, I am being drawn to him. And then he tells them, by any means. I love this little phrase that Paul says. He says, by any means means, by any means, by anything that I can get my hands on, by anything that I can reach to, by anything that I can grasp, I am going to continue to declare the message of Jesus. And we know it's true because what did I tell you? Paul's in the middle of a jail cell and the man won't quit. He's still sending out letters, instructing the church, declaring the gospel to the, to the prison guard by any means possible. And if you read through the book of Acts, you, you learn about Paul, that he would go into one city, and if he found Jews and Hebrews there, he would begin to teach them out of the Jewish scripture and reveal to them how Jesus was the Christ that they had been waiting on. But if he went up to Gentiles who didn't know anything about the Hebrew scripture, he said, that's fine, I have another means for you. I know something about your Greek philosophers, and so I'm going to quote some of them to you, and then I'm going to tell you how even in that, God is revealing himself to you. He said, if I'm in a prison cell, I'll use that. If there's a girl following me who needs a demon cast out of her, I'll use that. If you need healing, I'll use that. If you're gathered in a house somewhere, I'll use that by any means possible. If I'm shipwrecked, that's all right. I'll use that. If I'm bitten by a snake, that's all right. I'll use that. You can't make Paul quit because he had inside of him and any means possible. 
impossible. Everywhere that he went, he had one focus. Declare who Jesus was and expand the church. And he used every means possible. So my question for you today is what means are you leaving unused in your life? What means has God given you that you have not tapped into? What places in your life are you making excuses for why you can't use it, for why you can't do something? Giving in to that lie of the enemy that says, well, if you were a little bit more like Jesus, then maybe you could use that means. But since you're not really very much like him, then maybe you shouldn't talk about it to those neighbors of yours. Since you know that you lost your temper with your kids in front of your neighbors yesterday, maybe today's not a good day to share the goodness of the gospel. That is a lie. You just go ahead and share the goodness of the gospel and tell them, hey, I know I lost it with my kids a little bit. I'm, I'm not as much like him as I'm going to be someday, but I'm more like him than I used to be yesterday. So I just wanted you to know that he's faithful for you in the way that he's faithful for me by any means possible. Because then Paul tells them that I want you to press on. He says, I want you to keep going. I want you to push on for the goal, for the mark, for the prize. There is all the imagery and all the pictures of those ancient Olympic games of Olympians pressing on. Every time you see somebody striving to make it across that finish line, Paul says, I want you to press on like that. And don't look back. Don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Stop looking back at where you came from. Stop looking back at the things that you think disqualify you. Stop looking back at all of the reasons that you're not able to do this and all of the places that you've messed up and all of the places that you've come short and all of the reasons that you're not good enough to be a follower of Jesus. He says, don't look back. Press on towards the mark. Stop comparing yourself to what you've been. Stop comparing yourself to what he brought you out of. Stop comparing yourself. Because this is the thing, is that we look at each other, but the way that you look at me right now doesn't tell me all that much about my situation because your perspective is determined by a lot of different factors that don't take into account my whole story. So depending on your perspective of what you're looking at, you might look at my situation and think that I am a mess. You might look at where I'm at and think there is no way that that person has any business claiming the name of Jesus on their life. You might look at where I'm at and think that my life still looks a mess. You might look at where I'm at and still think that there are so many things in my world that are up in the air and there are so many things in my life that are still holding me and still bond, binding me and think they maybe should just hold on to it for another couple years before they tell people to follow them as they follow Christ. But that's only because of your perspective. It's because you don't know everywhere that I came from. You don't know how I lost five jobs because of my anger before God brought me to this moment. You don't know how I used to lose it all of the time. You don't know how prejudice and hatred kept my life small and bound before I came to this moment. You don't know that maybe I don't look as good as you think I'm going to look or as good as you think I should look, but what you don't know about my life is I'm far less of a mess today than I was four weeks ago because of the way that God has brought me out, depending on your perspective. You don't know how far he's brought me. 
But then again, you might look at my situation and think that it looks like it's all together. You might look at my situation and think that everything in my world looks great. You might think that God has been so faithful to me, but what you don't know is you don't know the tension that I feel inside between who I am and the thing that he spoke to me. You don't know the tension that I feel inside between what you see and what I know that I think and what I know that I feel and the thing that I know that he's calling me to. So even though you look at my situation and you think that it looks together, I wake up every morning and I think it's not there yet. I haven't quite reached it yet. I haven't quite gotten where he's called me to yet. And so you look at it from your perspective and you think that it all looks okay. But I look at it from my perspective and I think I'm still so far from who he's called me to be that how dare I say anything about what he's done in my life? How dare I reach? You might remember Abraham wandering around and to everyone else, Abraham looked like his life was going great. His cattle were expanding and he had a household of servants and everything in his life looked wonderful to those he came upon but in his own heart he said I still haven't seen the promise I still haven't seen the thing that God called me to and then I went and made it worse because you think that I have a son and that it looks so great but you don't know that every time I look at my son I remember how I took it in my own hands instead of waiting for the faithfulness of God so be careful to look at my situation and think that it's all together because like Abraham sometimes I'm walking around and it looks full and it looks abundant and it looks plenty but there's a gap and there's an emptiness inside because your perspective doesn't know what God spoke to me But then again, I might still be like Peter in a garden, slicing a man's ear off. And you say, I know Jesus did not call him into his 12. And if you're Peter, you're like, yeah, I know I just sliced his ear off. But you don't know how rough I was when Jesus found me a couple years ago. Today, I only cut his ear off. You know what I'm saying? A couple years ago, I might have reached for something else because... He has saved me and he has sanctified me. So today I decided just to harm him if you still look at what's going on. But then again, you might remember David being celebrated in the streets, the people crying out his name, saying how awesome he is because he led a troop. But I wonder if David didn't walk down listening to everyone celebrating him and say, but I'm still not king. And God told me I was going to be king. Well, then there's Joseph who was carted off, and now he's just a servant in somebody's house. And when he's just a servant in somebody's house, you might feel bad for him because he used to be a son in his father's house until you find out that at one point he was in the bottom of a pit getting ready to be there left for dead. And so he says, you know what? A servant in somebody's house doesn't seem so bad to me right now when you know that I was left for dead sometime. You can't tell when you look at me how close I am or how far I am or how much I've been transformed into his image, what I know is that all of us are feeling the tension of who I was and who I am and who I'm going to be someday. And we strive on to be made more like him. But whatever you do, don't look back. The distraction is back. The enemy is back. The comparisons are back. The doubt is back. The exes are back. The losses are back. The trauma is back. Don't look back. Don't look at how far you've come. Don't look at what he might want to transform you into. Just keep looking ahead. I love when they interviewed Lamont Marcel Jacobs. Remember that Italian who that upset who won gold? They interviewed him after, and this seems so simple. I love the basicness of it. He said to them, well, I didn't look right, and I didn't look left. I just focused on running as fast as possible. 
Come on, don't look to the left and don't look to the right. Just focus on running as fast as possible. Proverbs 4 says it this way. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot for from evil. Paul says, press on. Press on for that prize. Press on for that goal. Press on for the thing that Christ has called you to and has made you to be. Cast everything else aside. Cast every doubt aside. Cast every fear aside and focus for the goal. Think of yourself like an Olympian pressing on for that end mark with a fixed gaze, with a gaze, with a determined heart and a determined mind, with the pictures of gold in your vision. Press on for who he has called you to be. Press on for everything that God has called you to. When the lie comes, press on. When the nightmare comes, press on. When the loneliness comes, press on. When the heartache comes, press on. When the suffering comes, press on. When the glory comes, press on. Continue to live your life of resilient faith as you press on for that end mark. As you press on for the thing that God has called you to. Don't give up. Press on. I know there's a gap. I know there's some space. But press on still. You are going to make it. You are going to succeed. You are going to live a life of resilient faith. You are closer than you think. He has brought you from so far. Everyone who's able, I'd love for you to stand right now in this moment. As you hear that, press on. Press on for the mark he has set before you. Press on for the thing that he has saved you for. Press on, press on, press on. Don't give up. Don't lean back. Don't look back. Just press on and run as fast as you can. Because there's this very last line that Paul says in the part that we've read today. He says, in Christ. In Christ. In the four short verses that we have in his letter to Philippi, Paul says the phrase, in Christ, in some form, 21 times. The book of Philippians probably takes up about two pages in your Bible, if you have a physical Bible. And 21 times he says, in Christ. When you press on, what I want you to remember that you're not pressing on in your own grit. You're not pressing on in your own power. You're not pressing on in your own strength. You are pressing on in Christ. I want to jump back one verse before where we started to Philippians 3 and 9. It says, and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from my doing is what that means, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It has never been your ability. It has never been your strength. It has never been your capability. It has never been your goodness. It has always been 
his righteousness. It has always been his faithfulness. It has always been his consistency. It has always been his ever increasing glory in your life. So when you feel that gap of who you are and who he is, just remember that the more that you see who he is, the more that you see how his righteousness has been poured out on you. Not by strength, not by power, but by his goodness. He is the author and the finisher of your story. Amen, church? Amen. God, we thank you for what you have spoken today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that it is in you. Help us to be found in you this week, God. And help us to keep pressing when we feel the gap. God, teach us to not look back, to not compare, but to press on in you. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen.